You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. Um, to that, that place, Lord, where you are, that, that space and where heaven and earth intersect, where we find ourselves sometimes a little bit feeling in over our heads, sometimes feeling challenged but finding ourselves caught in the grace of God. And I've just been consistently praying for that this year. Lord, take us out, take us deeper, take us further, challenge our hearts this year. And so I hope that uh, echoes and resounds with you as well this morning. Well, uh, if you're new to us this morning, uh, let me start by introducing myself. My name is David Cook. I am the associate pastor here at Tyler Christian Fellowship. Um, As Caleb mentioned earlier, um, I preached last Sunday, I'm preaching today. Uh, in place of our senior pastor, Brother Joe. Uh, last Sunday, um, they were up in Spokane, um, bringing refreshing uh, to people who desperately need it. Uh, there was a funeral from someone, a uh, funeral of someone that was dearly loved by this house, and uh, they went up there to uh, offer support and refreshing. Uh, this Sunday, um, yesterday, they renewed their wedding vows at a beautiful service, and, um, and so they're going to be taken today and the next few days off uh, this week. Um, so last Sunday they were bringing refreshing, this Sunday and the next few days they're getting refreshed. So just remember them in your prayers. Um, they serve us well, and so we're thankful for them, and we want to be lifting them up in this time uh, so that they can be refreshed and come back to us um, recharged and revived. Amen? So um, I'm used to releasing the kids at this point, so this is kind of weird. So, so if you need a bathroom break, no, no, I just want to release somebody. We'll get to that. Hallelujah. All right. So we like to say around here from week to week, if you're new to us, if this is your first time at Tyler Christian Fellowship, we welcome you. We're thankful that you're here. Um, We're glad you've chosen to worship with us. You may find yourself here in a new place, around new people, a new experience, but your Heavenly Father loves you. He knows exactly how to minister to your heart today. So just sit back and receive all that He has for you. Um, I'm going to begin, um, I'm going to actually continue Uh, where I left off last week. I was sharing with you guys last week a message um, that has really come to my heart out of the last few weeks as we've been pressing into God as a body, seeking His face in prayer and in fasting for the new year. God really laid on my heart um, a couple of things, really specific things that He wants to take us into deeper and take us into further this year individually and as a body. Last week, I shared about freedom. And we were talking about how God wants us to be more free as a body and as individuals than we've ever been in the past. And by that, I meant freedom from our past, freedom from our hurts, our habits, our hang-ups, our addictions, the things that were like an anchor around our uh, uh, ankle to keep us from moving forward into the promises that He has for us. So we talked about that. We talked about how to be free from things and then free to move into the promises that He has for us uh, individually as well as corporately. Today, I'm going to pick up on the second thing that I really heard God uh, speak to my heart that He wants us to grow in this year. And um, it's, it's another uh, word that it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, sounds like a generic word, but there's a lot to it and it's very specific. So He wants us to grow in freedom. And the second thing He wants us to grow in is faith. So when I say faith, it's like, you know, your mind can go a lot of different directions. That's a big word. It's like freedom. Your mind can go a lot of different directions with that. This morning I've titled uh, this uh, message, uh, last week was uh, The Walk of Freedom, Moving on the Walk of Freedom. Today's message is titled Moving on the Walk of Faith. Um, A little bit about this character up here on the tightrope. This guy, his name is Philippe Petit. And he's, he was a famous uh, French acrobat. And on August 7, 1974, Philippe Petit, along with his uh, crew of men, they went to the top of the World Trade Center illegally. And they strung a, a cable between the World Trade Centers, and Philippe Petit got out on that cable and walked up and down that cable seven or eight times um, for up to almost an hour, he was on that cable, walking, doing, laying down, 
uh, doing all kinds of tricks out on that wire, and a crowd began to assemble below to watch this. It like shut down uh, downtown New York as people were just in awe of this guy up there on that tightrope. It was a feat to behold, and you know it took about an hour before the cops could get him to come off the tightrope, and uh, you know of course they took him down, arrested him, but then in a, in a cool way cool thing, they dropped all the charges because they said it just brought such attention to New York and it was, it was actually a cool thing for people to watch. So they didn't press any charges against him at all. And um, he ended up having to do some community service in Central Park. He ended up doing his, uh, his deal for the kids there. That's a little bit about him, but the reason I've featured him is that a lot of people, when they think about the stuff that we talk about, whenever we're talking about moving out into the deep, walking by faith, taking big steps of faith, being in and out over our heads. When, we, when they think about faith like that, this is kind of the image that comes to mind. It's something like, you know, just being very careful, uh, being very cautious, and, and you're out in this place where one wrong move and you could fall right out of the will of God. And, and, and you know, it's very risky, it's high risk, it's very dangerous to live by faith that way. And so a lot of Christians will not do that. They will pull back and they will choose to live a very safe, comfortable, um, bubble wrap, dipped in hand sanitizer type of life where they're not going to have to be challenged too much because the potential for being hurt is low. It's risky. It's risky to live by faith. It's risky to follow the voice of God. It's risky to put yourself out there and do the things that God might be asking you to do. But that is not the life that we are called to. Amen? We are called to a tightrope type life with the Lord. However, instead of it being like me on the tightrope, where I'd be freaking out up there, he calls us to learn to be like Philippe. He wants us to be comfortable in that space. He wants us to be comfortable out there in the high-risk area and in the area where we're putting our faith on the line. He wants us to become comfortable in that walk. He wants us to become familiar and confident with putting our faith out on the line. This is what we're called to. This is what I believe he wants to see in this house and in us as individuals this year. He wants us to become confident walking the tightrope of faith. And so that's where we're going today. We're going to uh, take a look at this and unpack a few things as we walk through this. Um, I want to talk about, first of all, what is the definition of faith? What does the Bible say faith even is? So Hebrews 11, verse 1, is one of, the, one of the best definitions that we have in the New Testament of what faith is. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Now, I don't know about you, but even after I read that definition, it still feels a little abstract. So you look up other interpretations, you look up other, um, uh, other versions of how this is uh, written, and some people take the word substance and change it to confidence. Faith is the confidence of things hoped for. And some say the evidence, some say the assurance. There's a lot of different ways but I still kind of come away from this definition going, I just can't sink my teeth into something like, like I need more. So let's unpack it just a little bit more and really get a grip on what faith, the kind of faith that God wants us to live by, what it's all about. That word substance, let me go back. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. That word in the Greek is hypostasis. Hypostasis. It's made up of two words, hupo, which means underneath, and stasis, which means to stand or support. So when you put those two words together, you come up with the word hypostasis, and you come up with a word that means to come underneath and support, just like, the, like a foundation. In fact, one of the best examples of biblical faith, of the faith that God wants us to live with and through, is um, when you think about a 20-story skyscraper, when we look at a skyscraper, we see the part that's from the ground up, but the most important part of that skyscraper is what's not seen. That's the part that's below the ground. It's under the ground. That's the foundation. That's the steel and the concrete that's there to make that 20-story building remain upright. That's our faith. Here's a good definition of hypostasis. 
It is that which, though perhaps unseen, exists beneath and supports what is visible. It then has the sense of a foundation. Even as the foundation of a building is unseen and the building above the ground is visible, the foundation, or the hypostasis, is nonetheless real, supporting the building, and supporting the building. Hypostasis can be seen as the unseen support of that which is standing in clear view. So this faith that we're talking about, that we live, this hypostasis, this foundation from which we live our lives, is carried out. Um, last week I talked about freedom being a, not just a position that we stand in. We're not just set free and then freedom is our position. It is, but it's so much more than that. Our freedom is a process that has to be exercised. And in the same way, our faith is like that. Our faith is a position. We are saved. We are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and we have a new position. But faith, like freedom, is a process that must be exercised. And so today, we're going to talk about three steps in the process of walking by faith. To believe is number one. To be emptied is number two. And to begin is number three. You know, just like the building that rises from the ground that has that foundation that's unseen underneath, that's how our lives are supposed to look. When people look at our lives, they should look at our lives and see something that testifies of something that is unseen. Let me explain what I mean. When they look at your life and they see qualities and characteristics and fruit in your life, it should make them wonder why. It should make them wonder, what's different about this person? What sets them apart from everybody else I know? Emily, um, a couple weeks ago, she had a coworker tell her, you are one of the most joyful people I have ever been around in my life. And I just say amen to that. Um, but this coworker said, what? The coworker told her, I thought I was joyful. Then I get around you, and you're like a whole nother level of joy. It's like, what, what's going on? What, what is it that makes you so joyful? Emily doesn't, you know, when she's at work, she, she does things differently than the other teachers do. She doesn't engage in a lot of negative trash talking about the other teachers or the principal. She doesn't, um, she doesn't go negative much at all, at all. She tries to stay positive. She works in special education, so the kids that she works with are very challenging. But in every situation, she tries to bring out the best in every kid. She tries to set a positive atmosphere in her work environment. And it's causing her coworkers, not just that one that asks, but other ones to, to wonder, what is it about you? What? You're so different than the normal person here. What is it? And it swings the door open for you to testify that this thing that you're seeing, what you're seeing on the outside, there's an unseen reality happening in my heart that makes this what it is. It's my faith. It's because Emily knows that God is for her and not against her. It's because Emily knows that she's saved and set free. Because Emily knows that she's working from a position of victory, not working towards victory. She's victorious in Christ. It's because she knows she's a new creation. It's because she knows the old is gone and the new has come. It's because of these things that she can have joy at work, that she can be joyful, that she can bear fruit even in the midst of trying situations. It's the faith underneath her that provides the support for living a life that way. Let me just ask you a question before we move on from that. If people were to look at your life right now, what would they see? If people were to, to follow you around for a week and be in your sphere of influence and walk beside you and listen to you, what would your life testify to them? Would it testify of the unseen reality that is in your heart, that God is for you and not against you, and all the other things that I mentioned, would it testify that? That even in the most trying situations, God is good. Would your life bear that fruit? Would it be a witness that way? Would it be a testimony that way? 
Because that's what God is calling us to as his followers, to walk that kind of walk and to be that kind of people that even without opening our mouth, we share the gospel. Amen? So let's go back to the process. The first part of this is just to believe. Believe, that's a, that's, again, that's another one of those simple words, but the depth that's there is uh, something that we need to unpack a little bit and really lay hold of this morning. The kind of faith that God wants us to walk in is the kind of faith that moves by, it move, we move in that faith and not by sight. It's basing our lives on the kind of faith that gives us the assurance and the confidence in Him that we can do things because He says to. God can give you a word. God can speak something to your heart. God can send you in a new direction. And simply because you know and believe and trust Him and trust His word, you can move forward in confidence. That's the kind of faith. And it, and it happens, it's that way with our salvation. It's that way from the very beginning. When we first believe, when we first say yes to Jesus, when we first come to that place where we realize, man, I'm lost, I'm desperate, I need Him. I, I, I'm trapped in my bondage. I'm, I'm trapped in my sins. I need a Savior. And we turn to Him. The unseen, we turn to Him and we put our faith in Him as though He's right in the room with us. It begins right there. It's that simple act of obedience. That simple step of faith. There's a movie that, that we watch. We watch you know, during uh, Christmas season. Um, there's three movies that we always make a point to watch. One, It's a Wonderful Life. Two, Charlie Brown Christmas. And number three, The Polar Express. We always make sure to hit those three. Polar Express is, is, is it's one of my favorites for sure. And if you're not familiar, I think probably a lot of you have already seen that movie. But it's one of my favorites because it's a journey of faith. And I remember watching this movie, the first time I watched it um, was in a season where my younger brother Aaron was on a journey with his faith. And he had declared himself agnostic and was way away from the Lord. And I'd just been praying and praying and praying for him to turn his heart back to God. Around that time, this movie came out. And it just so paralleled his journey. Because the movie follows a little boy named Chris. And uh, Chris is at this pivotal age in life. He's about 10 years old. And he's trying to, trying to decide, is Santa Claus real or is he a fake? And so at the beginning of the movie... You see Chris, he's got all these newspaper clippings and all this research he's done on Santa Claus and on the North Pole. And it's Christmas Eve, you know, and he's about to go to bed and he just kind of, you see that he kind of comes to this realization, it's all fake. None of it's real. And he lays down and he goes to sleep and he's awakened by the sound of, of course, this big locomotive engine coming down his street. So he runs out, he's invited to come on board the Polar Express, and it's this wild journey taking him to the North Pole to see Santa Claus. And so every little twist and turn of that movie so parallels a person's journey from doubt to belief. And, and I can't hardly watch it without, you know, crying a couple of times through that movie. It seems silly, but it's just so powerful. And the one scene that always gets me every time is when Chris is at the North Pole and it's about to happen. He's about to see Santa Claus. And this whole time, he hasn't believed in Santa Claus. He hasn't believed the whole deal. All the other kids are, are totally, they're all in. And they're at the North Pole. And also, for all those who believe, they're able to hear this bell ringing. You know, they can hear these little sleigh bells ringing all through the North Pole. Chris doesn't believe in Santa Claus, so he can't hear the bell. In the whole movie, when the kids mention a bell, he's like, what are they? I don't hear anything. Well, in this moment, Santa Claus comes out of his big Santa Claus castle, and he's about to take his place in the sleigh. And all the kids are going nuts, and the, and the elves are jumping up and down. And, and Chris is trying to see past everybody. Everything's getting in his way. The elves are jumping back and forth. And he's looking and trying to see Santa Claus, and, and he can't. He's trying to see him with his eyes, and he can't. Everything's in his way, and he's like, I'm about to miss him. And a sleigh bell comes rolling off the sleigh and rolls right to his feet. 
And he bends down and he picks up that sleigh bell. And it's in that moment he pauses and he closes his eyes and he says, I believe. I believe. It's a picture of that moment. And you know what happens next in the movie. When he opens his eyes, he shakes the bell and it begins to ring. And he begins to hear it. And then he takes the bell and he puts it out in front of him and he looks at it. And he notices in the reflection of the bell, Santa Claus is standing right behind him. I love that part of the movie. And he says, what was that you said? And Chris says, I, I believe. I believe. I think that's just such a neat illustration that fits so perfectly with the way God calls us to believe. Because we believe and then we see. We don't see and then believe. Amen? We believe and we put our faith in Him and then we see what's real. There's this beautiful quote by C.S. Lewis. And he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. I love that. That's the way our faith works. That's the way it works. We believe. We believe first, and then God reveals. It doesn't ever work the other way. Because He's called us to live by faith and not by sight. So how does this apply? How does this apply in everyday life for us? Well, let me ask you, what's God calling you to this year? What's He putting on your heart? What's He speaking to you? What has He said so far? As you've been fasting and praying, seeking His face, as you've been making that time to be with Him every morning or every evening, whenever your time is, that time to just sit in His presence and listen for His voice and give Him your heart. What are the things that He's spoken I'll even say this, what are the things that He's spoken to you before the season we're in? What are some of the things that He's spoken to you throughout your life? What are some of the promises that He's given you? What has He called you to? What are some of those things that He's laid on your heart that He wants you to believe Him for? He's calling you to take a step. He's calling us in this year to move forward, to believe that Word and then act on it. That's what real faith is. James says this in 2.26. He says, James says, uh, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. That doesn't mean that without works you don't have salvation. As some people have wrongly interpreted this to mean, this means that you have salvation, but if you're not working, if you're not doing good things, good deeds, if you're not responding to life through that salvation, your salvation, it's as good as like you're dead. It's as good as your faith is just dead. It, it was enough to save you. But if you're not exercising the process of that faith, it's like your faith is dead. God doesn't want us to live that way. He wants us to have a faith that is alive and active and dynamic and moving and constantly seeking after His heart and taking steps of obedience and walking with Him. You and I were created for the tightrope. We were created for that scenario. We were created to be out on the edge with Him, in over our heads. Amen? The second part of this is to be emptied. Matthew 16, 24-25 says, Then Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let me speak to this passage just a little bit because I think for many, many years in Western Christianity, this passage has been interpreted um, only through one lens. So let me speak a little bit to this. Um, when we read this passage of Scripture, we think martyrdom. We think what Jesus means, right off, I think most of us would, because that's probably how we've taught, heard it taught um, many, many years. 
when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, if you want to lose your life, you'll find it. And so on. We take that to mean literal death. That Jesus is saying, those who follow me are probably going to face death when he's talking to his disciples. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't mean that because there's a real high possibility for these people that he was speaking to in the first century, his followers. There was a real, um, there was a real possibility. And all of them but one, all of the 12 but one, John did die for following Jesus. And it's also a very real, um, uh, it's a very uh, sure reality around the world in other places today. People are, people who do follow Jesus, they're laying their life literally on the line. But there's another thing I want you to see in this. Um, take up his cross. This was actually a Hebrew idiom. An idiom is kind of like what we would call a colloquialism. You know what a colloquialism is? It's just kind of an expression of your culture, of your day. So my granny would say, oh, she would say, I've got more bills than Carter's got pills. Anybody heard that one? Than Carter's got, I don't even know who Carter is, and I don't know what the pill is either. Just, but that was like one of those things that she would say, and what she meant is, she's got a lot of bills. We have a lot of those in, in, the, in the Hebrew culture, they had a bunch of idioms. They had a ton of idioms. Take up your cross was one of them. Um, take up your cross in that day meant you're going to choose the way of an outlaw. Because as you remember, they were under the thumb of the Roman government. And if you revolted against the Roman government, one of the very real possibilities is that you would end up being crucified. You could end up you know, paying the ultimate price. And so they would say, as an expression, they would say, Take up your, if you're going to, you know, so-and-so is, um, so-and-so is so, uh, they're living their life in such a way that they're taking up their cross. That meant they're choosing the way of an outlaw. Here's how we would say it in our day. If you keep going that way, you're going to end up on America's Most Wanted. You see what I'm saying? You see, the, okay? So what they're saying, what Jesus is saying is twofold. Yeah, you might die. There's a possibility. But there's a guarantee that you're going to lose something. When you choose the way of an outlaw, when you choose the way of a renegade to follow him, you're going to lose your reputation for sure. You're going to lose the respect of the community, definitely. You're going to, you're going to be held, maybe you were held at once in high esteem, you're going to be looked at as an outcast just like he was. Paul is the prime example of this. In Philippians chapter 3, 7-8, he says, Whatever were but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul had a ton of stuff to lose. He was what he described, the Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee of Pharisees. He was somebody who had, he was at the top of his game. In the, in the Jewish culture, this guy was at the top. He was, he was respected among the uh, Sanhedrin. He had authority. He had power. He had position. He had everything. He had, he had a great reputation. And when he left that all behind, he lost. He lost his reputation. He lost his good name. And he became an outcast. But he says, I consider, he says, I consider them garbage compared to the all-surpassing, uh, compared to knowing Christ. He considers everything he had to lose to know Jesus this way as a pile of garbage. Let me ask you something. I really felt like this was something the Lord was just putting on my heart this week, too. When we are taking steps of faith this way, when we are stepping out into the deep with Him, people around you are going to think you've, they're, they're going to think differently of you in some ways. And I'm talking about even fellow believers. I'm talking about even some of the people that you fellowship with. When you begin to walk in that big step of faith in a way that doesn't make sense to them, there's going to be some risk involved. They're going to think some things about you or, or say some things about you or, or put you in a category that you may not be comfortable with. And when you begin to stand up in your workplace and in your school 
and in your, wherever you are, whatever your sphere of influence is, when you begin to stand up and take steps of faith and walk in obedience to God, they for sure are going to think you're crazy. They for sure are going to think something's going on that's different about you. And they might categorize you. And you might have had a ton of favor, or they might have, you might have had a certain position, you might have had a way that people, you were perceived. But let me tell you something. When you get radical for Jesus, when you start walking by this kind of faith, get ready to lose some stuff. When I turned my back on the lifestyle that I walked in, the rebellion that I walked in apart from God, when I made that decision to go all in with Him, I lost what I thought were some really, really close friends. People that I thought would be with me to the very end. And the minute I said, you know what? I'm leaving the world and I'm walking with Jesus. The minute I made that decision and began to actually walk it out, I lost some very dear friends. I lost people. I lost opportunities. I lost a lot of things. But I'm like, I'm here to tell you, like Paul, it was garbage compared to the reality of knowing Christ and walking with Him and being filled with His peace, filled with His love, set free, out on the tightrope with Him, walking it out, getting familiar and confident with that place where He is. That's what He wants for us. That's what He wants for us. And it begins by emptying ourselves, just like He says, to be emptied. So think about yourself right now. What are the things that God has been saying to you, speaking to you about already this year? What are you afraid of losing so that you can have more of Him? What are you afraid to lay down so that you can have what He has for you? Be careful, because those things can also be called idols. You want to know what an idol is? An idol is anything that you have to ask permission from before you can obey God. That's what an idol is. And if there's anything in your life where you're saying, man, I want to follow God this way, or He's calling me to this, but I've got this. I don't want to lose this. Be careful. Because that could be an idol. And God doesn't want you to follow it. He wants you to follow Him. He's got awesome things for you. Plans and purposes. Things that He created for you to do. He created you for specifically. You're His workmanship. Just be careful of those little things that you have to ask permission from to obey Him. Be emptied. And then finally, the last step of this is to begin. Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise the day of small beginnings. God is all about small beginnings. He is all about the first step in a process. He loves that. He loves that. You know, we like to think of ourselves way down the road here where we're faith giants and we're doing incredible things and God wants to see us there too, but He is just as excited about the very first small step that we take in His direction in obedience to Him. He loves that. He loves the day of small beginnings. But what does it take to do that? What does it take to turn? What does it take to move in that new direction? What does it take to to just take that first step? It takes a great deal of humility. I was um, reminded this week um, about the story of Naaman. And I hadn't thought about it in a while, but this one just came to my heart this week for uh, this morning. Naaman was the commander in the Assyrian army. Assyria, if you were, Assyria was a, they were enemies of Israel, basically. Naaman had leprosy. And a little captive Jewish girl that they had, that they had taken captive told her that there's a prophet in Israel that will pray for you if you'll go to him and be prayed for. He'll pray for you and you can be healed, you and your wife and everyone can be healed from this leprosy. So Naaman went and they go to the house of Elisha. And they go and they're waiting out in front of his house. Elisha doesn't even come out to him. He sends a servant out to meet with Naaman 
And he tells Naaman, God says that if you'll go to the Jordan River and dip yourself in that river seven times, you'll be healed. Do you remember Naaman's response to that? He was, he was kind of, uh, it kind of angered him. Me? You want me to go to the Jordan River, the a nasty river, muddy river. There's two other great rivers near Damascus. It's closer and cleaner that I could go to. You want me to go to the Jordan and dip myself in that nasty river to be healed. And he was totally put off by Elisha's response. Until one of his people that were close to him said, listen, I think you need to listen to this guy. If he'd have given you something hard to do or something noble to do, you'd have gone and done it to be healed. But he gave you this to do. I think you should humble yourself and go. Go to the river and do what he's asking you to do. So Naaman does. They go to the Jordan River and High Commander Naaman gets into the muddy water of the Jordan and in faith, he does exactly what Elisha says to do and he dips himself. One, two, three, four, five, six. He gets to seven and he comes up clean. Totally healed of his leprosy. Totally set free. And he realizes in that moment, I've been following a false god. And he renounces the gods of Assyria and he turns to the God of Israel and he proclaims to everyone else, there's a God in Israel and He's the real God. And he testifies of the reality of God because of that experience. And God was bringing that back to my memory this week. Here's what I was thinking. Here's what I feel like God was impressing on my heart for us today. If you're willing to humble yourself, and I don't know what God is asking you to do this year or what He's going to ask you to do this year, and it may seem ridiculous. It may seem way out of your comfort zone to do. But if you will take that first step, if you will humble yourself under Him, under His mighty hand, if you will humble yourself and take that step of obedience, what's waiting for you on the other side of that step is breakthrough. He has breakthrough in store for you. And I don't know what the first step looks like for you. I don't know what that is in your life. That's between you and the Lord. But as you're seeking Him, and some of you, I really sense that some of you already know the first step. I feel like God's already been dealing with you about some things this year. And he's already said some things to you and he's wanting to see, are you going to humble yourself and take that first step so that I can bless you? So that I can release blessing into your situation? So that you can have breakthrough? So that you can experience what I've got for you? That's my question to you today. Are you ready? Are you ready to walk this way? Are you ready to walk by faith and not by sight this year? I really feel like the last, last week's word and this week's word, it's a now word for us today and in this year. Are you ready? Are you ready? I want to call the uh, worship team back up and we're going to transition to communion this morning. One of the elders come forward as well. Are you ready? That's the question that God is asking you this morning. Are you ready to believe? Are you ready to be emptied? Are you ready to begin? Are you ready for more? That's the question this morning. Are you ready? And if your heart is responding that way, and if you're saying, yes, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready. I've spent enough time second-guessing and, and, and in fear and afraid of that tightrope. I'm ready to step out. I'm ready to walk by faith. I'm ready to move deeper. I'm ready to go farther. If you're ready for that this morning, He is going to take you at your word.
bow our hearts before him in prayer for just a minute. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we're ready. We're ready for more. Lord, we turn away, Lord God, from the things of 2018 that held us back or the things in the years before that, Lord God, up to this point that have held us back. And we choose right now, in this moment, to believe, Lord God. We believe You, Lord God. We believe Your promises. We believe that what You say, You will do. We believe it, Lord God. So Lord, I ask that You would call back to remembrance in this place every promise that has been given. Every single one. Every word that's been sown into every heart here. Whether it was from the written word or whether it was a prophetic word, I pray that You would call it back to remembrance, Lord God. And that it would be the foundation from which we stand move forward and demonstrate you to a lost and dying world. I pray, Lord, that where we need to be emptied even more, Lord God, where there are things that we have clung to, Lord, those things that we have put before you, those things that we have made a priority and put you underneath, we choose now in this moment to release to you. We do it in our hearts first, right now, in this moment. We release to You everything, Lord God, that we've held on to, that we've asked permission from, that we've made the top of our list. And Jesus, we say, You take Your rightful place as the King of our heart, as the Lord of our lives. We say there's no competition between You and anything else in our lives today, Lord. You're first. You are first, Lord. Come and be the King of our hearts. And then, Lord God, I pray for every heart in this room that this week, even starting today and into the, into the new week, that You would show us, Lord, highlight for us the first steps to take in a new direction in a direction of obedience, in a direction that says, you're first, Lord. In a direction that says, Lord, I'm following you no matter what the cost. I'm following you. I'm going after you with all my heart. And I'm going after those who are far away. Show us that first step, Lord God, this week. Highlight those things in our hearts and in our lives. Give us a clear discernment for how to move forward from this moment with you into a new direction. Help us today, Lord God. Our hearts are Yours. Our lives are Yours. Take us at our word today that we want more, Lord. Take us, Lord. Would you just take a minute right now and put your hand over your heart for just a second? Just say this with me. Jesus, my heart is yours. Let's say it again. Jesus, my heart is yours. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. I think it's so appropriate that we're ending this message today with communion we're talking about we're talking about beginnings we're talking about new beginnings it's just so appropriate that this is the way we're ending our time together today because Jesus' life the culmination of his life everything that he did every step that he took up to the night that he had that last supper with his 
disciples, it all culminated and it came to an end so that we could have a new beginning. He gave everything. He completely believed the Father and became empty. And He, day after day, night after night, gave of Himself, emptied Himself, became as nothing, taking on the the form of a servant and dying on the cross. He came to an end so that we could have a new beginning. Amen? Today is a new beginning. So as we come to the table this morning, come with an open heart and come with a ready heart. Come with a heart that says, I am a new creation in Christ. Today is a brand new day. It's a brand new season. And I'm moving forward. Amen? Father, bless this time. As we receive this communion, we remember your body broken. And we remember your life given. And what came to an end brought us a beginning. And we receive it today. We thank you for all that you've done to make us new creations and to give us a hope and a future. We rejoice in the work that you've done to make all this possible today. Take our hearts, take our lives, be glorified in us now and forever. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. You can come from the sides and after you receive communion, you're free to go. God bless you and have a great week. survey the 